Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Relationships are hard and don't always work out. Sometimes the fault lies with one of the people in the relationship. Sometimes both or even neither of them are at fault. Though we punish ourselves at the time, it's important to remember that it's better to be happy apart than miserable together. Happy endings can be solo affairs. My name is Tyler Bell and you're listening to the West Side Fairy Tales podcast. Today's story is about a man trapped in a relationship he despises. He doesn't know if he hates his wife or just can't stand her, but he does know he plans on leaving her, just as soon as they reach the end of the long trip they've embarked on together. But his plans are put on hold when he and his wife stop for gas at a remote desert gas station. Strange things have the building and its occupants under siege. There seems to be no way out, and unfortunately for our protagonist, till death do us part may be his only option. Before we get to that, there's a few things I want to tell you about. This month's book recommendation is, well, one you may or may not have read, if not at least heard of. Night Shift by Stephen King is one of the best horror short story collections out there, and King's very first, being released sometime in 1978. It contains more than a few classics with names you'll recognize. The Lawnmower Man, Children of the Corn, and Jerusalem's Lot, which is a sort of pseudo-prequel sequel to the venerable classic Salem's Lot. It's not even remotely a stretch to say you would not be listening to this podcast if I'd never stumbled across it in the Green Township Public Library going on 20 years ago, hanging out alone in the stacks on an otherwise nice summer afternoon instead of playing with friends as I was wont to do. It was probably there that I first read the short story Trucks, which vaguely forms the aesthetic of this story because I wasn't allowed to check out adult books marked with an A stamped in a little circle 
until I was 12. I would read the book in the library instead, hiding it before the doors closed so nobody would check it out before I got back the next afternoon. To say the least, Night Shift is one of those first soft touches of the writing bug that would later infect me. If you want to walk a few moments along a path that leads back to a younger me, give it a read when you get a chance. Now, without further ado, today's story, Last Chance Gas. Dawson dropped the book he'd been reading on the floor of Carolyn's old Buick Regal and leaned his seat back a few notches. You know, if you're going to do that, you could at least pull the map out and double-check where we are, she said, daring a quick glance at the book by his feet before turning her attention back to the road. She hated when he set things down where they didn't belong, even when she knew he'd pick them back up a minute later. He glanced at her and she had that shitty look on her face, the one he absolutely hated. He told himself for maybe the 50th time since they'd left Provo that he only had a few more days left of this bullshit. He'd finish things with Carolyn and go anywhere in California that would take him. Anywhere but Sacramento, of course. Carolyn and her cunt sister could keep Sacramento and that whole goddamn part of the state for all he cared. He'd take the coastal roads up to Eugene and change his name to Edgar or Charles. Anything but Dawson. Date anyone but Carolyn. Live any other life than this. Okay? I'll try asking again. Can you look at the map, Dawson? Carolyn said. He sighed and dug through the glove box for the map they'd bought at some shady tourist hovel just inside the Nevada border. It wasn't on normal paper like a real map. Instead, it was printed on high-gloss paper with all sorts of bright colors, like an amusement park guide. The front of the thing said it was an official state map sponsored by the Nevada Board of Tourism. If the map was to be believed, there were about ten whole towns in all of Nevada and all of them were on the roads leading to Las Vegas. Las Vegas, in fact, was spelled in all caps, with three exclamation points and fat red underlines. Even Carson City and Reno only got red block letters to distinguish them from the lesser towns, whose names were spelled out in typical small font script. Our nation of poverty, Dawson thought, without really knowing why. He found the thin purple line denoting Route 50, which would take them all the way to Lake Tahoe and then on through to Sacramento. He'd wanted to make Lake Tahoe by nightfall so they didn't have to sleep in some decrepit motor inn left over from the 1950s, but he was beginning to think that that was going to be impossible. It was already noon, and their options were looking seriously limited. They'd passed maybe two towns, if you could even call them that. Only one had lodging, a long, flat building of ten or twelve rooms that seriously reminded Dawson of the Bates Motel. He thought of Carolyn cast in dark silvers, screaming while the nutso hotel manager stabbed her to death. He immediately felt bad, but he chuckled under his breath anyway. What are you laughing at? she asked. He had no idea why, but this small intrusion infuriated him. She couldn't just let him have things. He always had to fucking share. Nothing, Dawson said. He ran a hand through his shoulder-length blonde hair and hoped that hadn't sounded as shitty as he thought it had when he said it. She didn't snap back at him, so he figured it hadn't. He let the map flop down on his lap and looked out the window. Nothing but flat sand and scrub brush in the distant blue mesas. Wind-flung grit flicked against the glass, sounding almost like running water to him. It was the only sound in the car. They'd passed out of range of the closest FM antenna a while ago, and Carolyn wouldn't let him keep listening to the carpenter's tape he'd bought before they left Provo. 
Her father had instilled in her a deep-rooted superstition against playing tapes too many times in hot or cold weather. He'd convinced Carolyn that it somehow wore out the tape faster, and, like the dumb cow she was, she believed him. Dawson! She screeched, letting him know he drifted off again. He glared at her, but she didn't bother taking her eyes off the road. I asked you to look for a gas station like four times now. Are you serious? Stop ignoring me. He shook his head and ran his finger along the map, trying to figure out where they were. He stopped when he realized there simply weren't any gas stations on the map, at least not off Route 50. He even tracked back to the towns they'd passed through, towns he knew had gas stations and saw none. There aren't any, he said, folding the map and sticking it back in a glove box. What do you mean there aren't any? There aren't any fucking gas stations, Carolyn, he said, raising his voice. He crossed his arms and looked out his window. She was seething. Did you just use a curse at me? She asked. Jesus Christ, Carolyn. And you're taking his holy name in vain. She was five seconds away from some sort of fit. He could feel it. He wanted to slip the ring off his finger and flick it at her face. See how she'd like that. He imagined it plinking off her perfect, blonde-rimmed forehead and laughed under his breath again. She slapped his arm hard enough to make a loud crack. What the hell? He asked. I am not going to let you backslide just because we're moving out to California, Carolyn said. I'm not going to wake up one day to find out I've married one of those Mormons. You're going to wake up fucking alone one day, you spiteful bitch, Dawson thought. He'd never say anything like that out loud. He actually truly feared his wife, though he had no idea why. Maybe it was because she was a bitch of the First Order or because her father had strong-armed his father into arranging the marriage as some sort of business deal. Both of their fathers owned used car lots. This almost cherry Buick Regal had served as Carolyn's dowry when they'd married two years earlier. He hadn't minded her then, but the years had worn on him hard. He thought that maybe if Joseph Smith had known the future of America, he would have made used car dealing some sort of sin. Then again, he thought, Joseph Smith had been a used car salesman of the First Order so maybe their father's chosen profession was just a natural progression of things. Here's some gas coming up, Carolyn said. Dawson looked ahead and saw a sign reading, Salvatore's last chance gas, just 10 miles up CR 133, next exit. Gee, Dawson started, then he stopped himself. Carolyn, that's a terrible idea. We'll have to take a 20-mile detour that's like another 40 minutes on our drive time. What should we do, Dawson? Just run out of gas? She asked in reply. It says, last chance, and I'm almost on E. That's, there's no... Dawson rubbed the bridge of his nose. Just because the sign says, last chance, doesn't mean that it's actually the last chance for anything. Every gas station out here probably says that, so they'll get at least a few stop-ins from the, like, ten fucking people that ever use this fucking road. Do you really want to sleep in the desert, Dawson? What if there's no gas up there, or the station's shut down? We won't even have enough to get back to the highway. Do you want to sleep in the desert, Dawson? She would have clapped her hands at him if they weren't welded to the steering wheel at ten and two. He sighed and said no, and a few minutes later they turned north onto what wasn't really even an exit. Just a straight-up intersection with a stop sign and everything. Dawson thought the road was just dirt until he made out a few errant traffic lines popping out from beneath a thick coating of dust. Jesus Christ, he mumbled under his breath. 
Carolyn either didn't hear or ignored him outright. He reached into the back seat for one of his old Boy Scout canteens they'd been refilling throughout the trip and shook it, maybe half left of that one, and another two full canteens in the back somewhere. Be prepared, he thought, taking a swig. He sneaked the carpenter's tape back onto the radio as they neared the gas station. A few big clouds had formed overhead as they drove, casting broad shadows on the desert floor that moved quickly with the wind. He was almost elated when he saw other vehicles parked between the pumps at the station. He'd honestly thought the station would be nothing more than dust-choked boards and broken glass, but it seemed in good health. Almost modern, in fact. The carpenters started into fun, fun, fun as they rolled into a free spot beside the pump closest to the door. The clouds overhead had darkened significantly, to the point where Dawson almost expected it might rain. The shadow of one small cloud passed perfectly in front of the sun, and Dawson watched it float toward them, over the pumps, and then off into the uneven desert terrain. Carolyn turned to him and cleared her throat, and he rolled his eyes, then stepped out of the car to pump the gas. The pumps were modified versions of the old-school classic pumps with the big bubble on top. They looked almost exactly the same, but the handles and tube had been awkwardly modernized. Rusted metal showed where parts of the old had been hacked away to make way for the new. The rest of the gas station was no different, a mix of 50s Americana and modern convenience, even though the dark-tinted windows were sporting a series of spiderweb cracks. Dawson looked around and saw an overturned station wagon on the side of the road, opposite the direction they'd came. He had to squint at it to see it. The heavy chrome work on the side panels reflected the sun like lasers. It looked pretty fresh, like it had only just crashed. It actually seemed to have less dust on it than the three vehicles in the gas station parking lot with him. A boxy Japanese sedan, a minivan, and a bulky military jeep painted black and white. Stenciling on the driver's side door read, Walther Security. Dawson! Dawson! Carolyn whispered harshly. He turned his attention away from the jeep and looked down at her. He dazed off, looking around the parking lot and expected her to have the shitty look on her face, but she didn't. She wasn't even looking at him, in fact, but past the pumps at the door to the station. He followed her gaze and froze. He swallowed. A grungy-looking police officer stood in the open door to the station. He held a big silver revolver in his right hand. He looked dried out, Dawson thought, or maybe drunk. The man stared up at the sky, his eyes red-rimmed and desperate. Dawson let go of the pump handle as the man leveled his crazy, freaked-out eyes on him and Carolyn. He started across the lot in a jog, screaming at them to get out of the car. Carolyn screamed and Dawson raised his hands. He glanced back at the door, slowly swinging closed on the station, and saw a host of faces peering from the darkness inside. Get the fuck out of the car, the cop said, leveling the big pistol at Carolyn's face. Now. Uh, officer, what, what's the... Dawson started. The cop wheeled the gun around at his face now, and Dawson swallowed again. Sweat stained every inch of the man's pale blue uniform shirt, forming upside-down McDonald's arches under his sagging tits. The angle of the sunlight set at the perfect level to shine off the copper face of the round deep inside the barrel. He squinted when it moved and the reflected sun blinded him. Fun, fun, fun ended on the carpenter's tape, and Karen Carpenter started singing The End of the World. Dawson? Carolyn pleaded. Get out of the car, Carolyn. He replied. She started to say something else and he cut her off sharply. Get the fuck out of the car, Carolyn. She pushed the door open and crawled out onto the cracked cement lot, then pushed herself behind the pump. The cop, no, the security guard, Dawson corrected himself, thinking of the bulky jeep on the other side of the lot. 
the security guard, started taking slow steps backward, feeling his way along the car with his free hand. The other kept the big revolver squared center between Dawson's eyes. You just stay right there, boy, the security guard said. He had a couple days' worth of stubble on his face and smelled like an old gym bag. Yellow lines of dirty sweat dripped down the side of his face from the oily strands of brown hair peeking out from beneath his dirty uniform hat. Don't you move. Yes, sir, Dawson said, surprised how clear his own voice sounded. The security guard sounded cracked, physically and mentally. He hooked his leg into the Buick and Dawson realized the man wasn't really looking at him, but at something in the air over his shoulder. One of the big clouds moved over the sun, and the security guard's eyes became wide white circles as the shadow covered his face. He ducked into the car and started it, gunning the engine and shooting out of the station before Dawson could breathe. Cold gasoline leaked onto Dawson's tennis shoes as the hose ripped out of the pump. Hey, Jerry, wait for me, goddamn you, wait for me, Dawson heard someone say from the direction of the station. He turned to see a second, somehow pudgier security guard. The man had tears in his eyes as he waved his hands over his head at the Buick as it drove down the road. Dawson only barely registered that the vehicle was heading in the opposite direction of the highway. Then he saw something peculiar. A shadow seemed to dip slowly down out of the sky toward where the car was driving. It reminded Dawson of Wiley Coyote dropping an Acme portable hole onto the ground to trap the roadrunner. In the distance, he heard the soft echo of squealing brakes and twisting metal. He turned back to the pudgy, screaming man and their eyes met. Then the air snapped apart with a noise like a bomb going off, knocking Dawson backward off his feet. He was momentarily aware of a shape between the station and the pumps, a black blur the size of a city bus. Dawson realized his ears were ringing and partly warm. He raised a hand to the side of his head, and his fingertip came back coated in blood. People were waving at him. A tall, bald black man in a plaid button-up shirt stood inside the door to the station. A black woman with a mass of black curls atop her head was screaming beside him, clutching tightly to the shoulders of a little boy who was crying and waving his hands in a gesture Dawson recognized as, Come here. Dawson started toward the door, struggling to his feet, then stopped and looked down at Carolyn. She was mouthing nonsense up at the sky, her eyes wide and unseeing. She looked like Muhammad Ali had just thrown a hard one into the side of her head. Blood descended from her ear in a wavering line like a hideous earring. Despite himself, he bent down and scooped her up in his arms. He could hear the people now, just beneath the ringing, their voices deep and watery like they were talking out of a fish tank. They were telling him to run. He obliged as best he could, nearly falling several times. He passed a rusty red smear about ten feet long, where he'd last seen the pudgy security guard. The people cleared out of the doorway just as he fell through it. Dawson tried to protect Carolyn's head as they fell toward the ground but he suddenly realized he wasn't holding her at all. As if in slow motion, he looked at his hands and then at the big black man, who had snatched her from him as he fell. His skull hit the floor and a nauseating wave of pain passed through his body. Carolyn was safe, of course, he thought. Limp as a bag of potatoes, but safe. The bitch, Dawson thought before passing out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. He awoke an hour later, something cold and wet pressed against his head. His eyes eventually focused on the little black boy he'd seen standing inside the entrance. The boy's big, brown eyes were focused squarely on him and wrinkled with concern. Dawson realized it was the kid holding the thing against his forehead and he reached up and took it. He brought his hand down to his face and discovered a Budweiser closed in his fist. Without thinking, Dawson pulled the tab off and downed the thing in four quick gulps. The boy narrowed his eyes. You shouldn't drink it that fast, he said. Dawson had to squint at him to bring his face back into focus. A small part of him hoped the kid wouldn't think he was glaring at him, but a much larger part simply did not care. You'll get sick. The kid popped to his feet and sped out the door behind him, which Dawson realized was the door to a walk-in freezer. The silvery aluminum-lined walls around him glowed with yellowish light. The beer dulled some of the ringing in his head, muting it to a fuzzy hum. His left eye felt weepy, but was dry when he raised a finger to touch it. He found the little boy in the center aisles standing beside the black man who'd plucked Carolyn out of his hands. The man was worrying over a woman Dawson first thought to be Carolyn, but moving closer he saw that she was a middle-aged black lady. The smell of stale booze suffused the place. Carolyn lay beyond them, her head resting in the lap of an older Latina woman. She held Carolyn's eyes open as she instructed a young man with olive-colored skin where to point the tiny penlight in his right hand. The woman's own hands trembled slightly against Carolyn's face. She wouldn't have been able to hold the light on her own. The kid ran ahead of Dawson, telling the others he'd woken. One by one, their heads turned to him. Most of their eyes were red, and they had a similarly dried-out look to their faces. Dawson froze in the aisles, not knowing what to do. Eventually, the black man left the woman on the ground and walked to him, outstretching a hand. Malcolm Little, he said. Dawson shook his hand. This was literally the first black person he'd ever met in his life, though he'd seen a few in passing on the street. He wanted to kick himself in the ass for how nervous he felt. The man's hand was like any other he'd shaken in his life, bigger than his and a little rougher from hard work. People call me Comey. Comey, Dawson repeated. I'm Dawson Smith. That's Carolyn. He pointed to his unconscious wife. She's my wife. The Latina woman looked down at Carolyn's face and then back at Dawson. She had the clear, discerning eyes of a longtime professional. The boy holding the penlight slumped against the checkout counter beside her, cracking open a Bud Light and sipping it with a grimace on his face. This is my wife, Bernadette, Comey said, gesturing down to the woman. Her face looked too shiny and drawn, 
and her breath came in little gasps. You've already met my boy, James, and that's Abella and Marco over there with your wife. Abella and Marco nodded at Dawson. Marco raised the beer and took another sip. What happened? Dawson said, licking his lips. He already felt thirsty. We only sort of know, Comey said. His son sat down beside Bernadette. The woman's eyes fluttered beneath her eyelids. We got here two days ago, just after Abella and Marco. There are these things in the sky. You might have seen them, thinking they were clouds. He sighed. I don't know what they are, or where they're from. They come down at you like falcons, hard and fast. They started circling soon after we got here, maybe sooner. The first people killed were a couple of guys on motorcycles, just out there past where you can see. One of them got dropped back here. Then, well, the thing came and picked him back up. He sighed and sat down beside his wife, cracking open a beer his son handed him. The boy opened one and drank some himself. Comey saw the look on Dawson's face. It's all there is left to drink, he said. This place hadn't been restocked in a couple weeks before we got here. That's what the owner said. Now that we've been here a while, I can guess why. He shook his head. There's a hose out back. Marco's sister went out for it after her grandmother's hand started shaking. That was yesterday. He gestured out the window with his thumb. It was all that knocked over station wagon and got hit by one of those things. The owner of this place thought maybe he'd be fine with a roof over his head. No such luck. He crushed the can and tossed it over the aisles. Dawson heard it land in a pile of other cans where he couldn't see. Your wife isn't well, Abella said. Dawson walked over to her. Carolyn looked asleep, save for a kind of weirdness in her breathing. She has a fairly bad concussion. Those things break the sound barrier when they dive. Diablos, Marco muttered. Abella nodded. You should prepare for the worst, she said. I'm sorry. Dawson knelt beside Carolyn. He let a handful of her straw-colored hair glide over his fingers. Somewhere deep inside him, he knew he'd done this. The feeling made him sick. I was planning on leaving her, he said softly. Abella and Marco were the only ones who could hear, and they said nothing. What's wrong with his wife? Epilepsy. Abella said. She'll be fine. Comey told me her fits are brought on by stress. Between the dehydration and all. She waved her hand at the ceiling. This. I'm surprised she hasn't had more than just the two. Is there anything I can do for Carolyn? Dawson asked. Get her to a hospital. Abella said. Sooner rather than later. She'll need surgery if her brain begins to swell. Without it, death at best. At worst, debilitating brain damage. How long? It may already be too late, Abella said. This is not my specialty. She saw the look on his face, one he never expected to find there himself inside. It's always a matter of time with these things, and we've been here for days. My husband was the first who tried to get back to the cars. The thing was sitting up on the roof. Up he went. And that was the last I ever saw of him. Tears welled in her eyes and Marco took her hand. It's better that way, Marco said to her. His native inflections colored his speech, but his English was perfect. Dawson realized the English was for his benefit. We saw, heard, what happened to the owner after they toppled his car. I'd pick a million other deaths before that one. 
He cracked open another beer for emphasis and met Dawson's eyes as he drank. Once you start on these, they only make you thirstier. I've had a headache for a day now, between this and the sodas we drank before. Hold off as long as you can. He tipped up the can and took a drink. Dawson licked his lips, now slightly sticky from dehydration. Swallowing had gotten a touch harder as well. He thought of the Boy Scout canteens in their station wagon. The station wagon, he thought. That guy that stole our car with a gun, Dawson said. Did he get away? Puerco mierda, Marco said with a laugh. No, he's not coming back with help, if that's what you're thinking. He didn't make it far, though I don't suggest you look. He narrowed his eyes. And before you ask, nobody knew him or his pendejo partner. Pinches coleros. They were fucking bullies. Showed up here a day after everything started happening. They knew exactly what was going on and wouldn't tell us. Wouldn't let us try anything to leave either. He finished the beer and tossed it to the pile. Why? Don't know, he said. Don't really care to know. He gave Dawson a half smile and cocked his head to the side. I've kind of come to accept things as they are. Abella rolled her eyes but said nothing. Rabbits don't need to ask by the... Laguila? He turned to Abella. Eagle, she said. Why the eagle hunts them, he finished. Aside from the obvious, there is no better answer. He took a breath. I'm sorry about your wife. Me too, Dawson said, turning to Abella. Do you mind looking after her? Abella shrugged dismissively, but she caressed Carolyn's hair all the same. Dawson realized he and Marco were roughly the same age, and thought of the missing granddaughter who'd never returned from the water pump. He thanked them and walked to the window. Something had knocked the Buick off course just yards down the road from the pump. It had curved back toward the building and was off the road into a gully. There, something had ripped the roof to shreds, along with the man inside. Only his blood remained, and that had been smeared to a thin film over every surface it had touched. Dawson put his hand on the glass, thinking of the canteens of water again, with the discarded book and his pointless arguments with Carolyn, when something thudded onto the ground in front of the window. Nobody made a sound. Its shadow covered most of the gas station interior. Slats of glimmering light floated in the spaces the creature didn't block. Its skin was perfectly black, a thick sheet of rippling leather scales that revealed a deep red skin beneath when they flexed. Dawson realized he was looking at a wing, a wing maybe twice the size of the Buick. It made a low snuffling noise and a tortured mewling that sent shivers up Dawson's spine. A long, sharp shape touched the ground beneath the cape, with the red smear the one security guard's body had left still stained the pavement. It dragged over the blood, then found a length of tattered skin, which it snatched up. Dawson realized he was looking at the thing's tongue, which was maybe as long and thick as a child's forearm. It made another feeble mewling noise and trundled off, moving lightly despite its size and the reverberations that followed every footstep. A second later, it was gone, and a minute after that, Dawson could no longer feel it moving. A gust of wind kicked up a wave of sand that settled over the cars by the pumps. He squinted at the cars toppled beside the road. The one the owner had tried to flee in was relatively undamaged. Have they tried to get in here? Dawson asked. He turned to Comey, who shrugged. We've heard him pawing at the roof. One nudged the windows yesterday, but that's it. For whatever reason, we're safe in here. Safe as this beer can is for me in this box, Marco said. 
Dawson heard the rattling of a can against cardboard as Marco shook it free, then a crack when he opened it. That made him think of the sound of the fat security guard getting hit by the thing, the confusion that followed. He looked around the store. Despite the high noon brightness of the desert, it was fairly dim inside the station. Dawson rested his hand on the glass windows. They felt thick to the touch and cool. Tint inside the glass made the outside look darker as well. Double pane glass, he said to himself. What? Comey asked. His wife had come to and laid her head in his lap. She didn't look up to conversation. Comey looked like he was just trying to distract himself. It's an insulated glass with tint inside it, Dawson said. My dad wanted to install some at his business, but the costs were too high. He tapped his chin. Crazy to think a station out here in the sticks would have some. If it's insulated, Marco said, it's probably the only thing keeping us from cooking alive in here. The owner of this place has fancy windows, a generator that lasts forever, and no fucking phone. He chuckled. What a dick. There is a phone, Abella said. A payphone by the toilets on the side of the building. Her fingers were tangled in Carolyn's limp hair. I saw it when we got here. That doesn't count. There's no chance we're getting to that without them things seeing us, Comey said. His wife's breathing had mellowed. Her eyes found the room and then focused on Dawson. Who are you? She asked. Something clicked. The white boy. They stole your car. Yeah, Dawson said. Did the girl make it? She asked. My wife? Dawson said. Yeah, but... He saw something in the woman's eyes. Well, we're here, aren't we? Thank you for helping. Don't mention it, she said. She lay back and closed her eyes. The boy, James, came up and slid a cold beer over her forehead. She tapped his hand. Thank you, baby. James watched the light catch and bounce in the cupped metal bottom of the can, the focused reflection making a little white disc that rose up and down the aisle beside the front door. Holy shit, Dawson said. They can't fucking see us in here. Probably not, Marco said. Or they'd be in here already. Dawson turned toward him, mouth open, frozen on a thought he couldn't articulate. Abella seemed to see the cogs working in his mind, however, and raised an eyebrow. If they aren't killing us, it's because they can't see us, she said. That means they hunt by sight, which makes sense, given how they dive attack. If they hunted by sound, like an owl, then they'd have to swoop in quietly. Otherwise, they can't hear. She sighed. It's an astute observation, Dawson. She trailed off, giving the impression she wasn't thoroughly impressed. Dawson slapped his fist into his palm. The station wagon. You said the owner of this place rolled out in the station wagon, right? Those things hit it right away, but they didn't tear it up right away, right? Dawson felt giddy. His heart was beating in his throat. There's finally some sense to this madness. It was odd to think how much of what had happened he'd simply accepted. Maybe it was just adrenaline. He strode to the door and pointed at the station wagon. They didn't touch it when it was on its side, he said. It's super reflective. Maybe it's so reflective they can't look at it, just like us. Abella perked up now, looking down at the ground and then back at Dawson. Now she was interested. He heard Bernadette laugh. Pigeon-dogging, she said. Her eyes were still closed, but she smiled. I know what you're getting at, white boy. She laughed again. Where I grew up in Hoboken, we'd sit on the rooftops in the city and shine lights at the pigeon flying roof to roof. 
He'd blind him and they'd hit the side of the building. Like, bam. Bernadette, Jesus, Comey said. That's awful. He said this to his wife, but looked at James, who'd been giggling until he saw his father's look. Didn't say I was proud of it, she grumbled. But that's what this boy's thinking of, isn't it? You want to pigeon dog these things out of the sky. Uh, sort of, Dawson said. He hadn't even thought about something that extreme. It was a really good idea. I just figured we could maybe make a tent or something and just walk out under it. Like shiny, uh, camouflage. He smiled. Your idea's better. Hell yeah, it is, Marco said. He stood, eyes red-rimmed and wet. Not drunk, but thoroughly buzzed. If we can get back at those things, I want in. Sit down, borracho, Abella said, tugging at his jeans. He shook her off. No, if I can get at them, I'm gonna, he said. Something unspoken hung in the air between them. Abella narrowed her eyes. Abajo, Marco, she said. He glared at her, but sat anyway. Dawson heard something moving in the pile of cans and saw Comey gathering empties into a trash bag. Then he took a pair of tin snips and an industrial jug of Gorilla Glue from the automotive aisle. He smiled at his wife and then looked up at Dawson. Can you help my son gather up all the cardboard you can find? He asked. He looked past Dawson to Marco. You too, if you don't mind. What are you doing? Dawson asked. Building a satellite dish, Comey said with a grin. Dawson watched in amazement as Bernadette scribbled a series of numbers and symbols onto a scrap of cardboard with Sharpie marker. She pointed to the panels of cardboard covered in beer can skins. Even in dim light, the contraption was hard to look at. We were headed to our new job outside of Las Vegas, working on the nearby airbase, Comey explained. He was a former Air Force radar technician, he said, but his wife was a DARPA physicist who specialized in radio communications. They had met on the job at Langley when he'd accidentally tried to explain how radio waves work to a woman with a doctorate in physics. She let me go on. I'm telling you, literally until my superiors came up and told me she'd be using our control tower equipment for experiments, Comey said with a laugh, gluing the panels into place over each other. The final effect was something like a sharp metal flower. I was embarrassed as hell. You were cute, Bernadette said, looking at Dawson. He was more like an excited kid talking about his hobby than an overbearing di- she looked at her son and censored herself. Then the kind of guy who thinks he knows better than you because you're a woman. I get plenty of that in academia, so I know the difference. Everybody jumped at a noise that sounded like the building was being torn down, turning toward the freezer. Marco, now fully drunk, stood in the doorway with a massive slab of aluminum siding in his hand. He wore work gloves from the automotive aisle and held a 12-inch pry bar in the other hand. His grin ran ear to ear. So I... He hiccuped. So I seen this movie, and these guys outfit this van, right? Another hiccup. Shit, I hate hic- er, uh, hiccups. Ugh. Anyway, there's like these people, monsters, and they can't get in because they got like old chain link fence and shit over the windows. It's great. Comey stopped what he was doing. You want me to cover one of the cars and that stuff? He asked. How else are we going to get out of here? Marco said. He lost his grip on the panel and everybody braced for the impact, but it caught the air at the last minute and settled on the linoleum with a light tap. Marco looked at the panel for a second, and then to where Abella sat against the counter with Carolyn. She can't walk, and we can't carry her. Plus, it's like a million miles to anywhere that's not this place. 
Dawson nodded, but Comey shook his head. That asshole has our keys, he pointed. Out there. Dawson followed his finger to the smeared red covering his ruined Buick. Comey looked up at him and then back at the car. Before you guys got here, they were basically holding us hostage. They wanted to leave real bad, trust me. My boy overheard them saying their jeep wasn't fast enough because of the armor. That's why they were waiting for somebody like you to come by. Dawson looked out at the ruins of his car, then at the vehicles under the pumps. A puddle of fuel filled the entire lot from where the pump handle had broken off when the man stole his car. He could smell it from here. So we gotta go get those keys, huh? Dawson said, taking a deep breath. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He took another breath. Fuck. Shit. Okay. He felt the memory of the air breaking when the thing had killed the fat security guard. His hands shook. I'll fucking do it, Marco said. Abella basically growled at him. No, Dawson said. I've got this. You've all got a lot more to lose than me. Have lost a lot more already. Comey raised his eyebrows. What about your wife? Dawson dodged the question and picked up one of the satellites. In the dull light of the gas station, staring into it gave him a headache. He pointed it at the door and saw a fuzzy white disc form on the windows. He looked past that and saw it was shining on the cards as well. It gets more effective past about 30 yards or so, Bernadette said, scribbling some numbers down on the cardboard. The beam of light tightens around then and it'll be at its brightest. She smiled at her work. You can face federal charges if you shine this thing at a plane. We'll hold this panel over the door before you go out, Marco said. That way nothing, you know, from overhead. His earlier bravado had faded some. Dawson didn't feel much in the way of bravado right now either. He took a last deep breath. Let's do this. Then he was standing on the concrete pavement between the smear of blood left by the fat security guard and the growing puddle of gasoline. He held the satellite in his hands, marveling at how bright the light shone now that he was outside. He could see at least three black disks in the sky, hovering past each other amongst the clouds. They were so obviously alien now that he was surprised he hadn't noticed them on the road. Then one cut away and curved through the sky. He recognized the move from earlier, followed the trajectory until he saw it come into position to strike him. Dawson's legs felt like butter or maybe drying glue. Too rigid to move and too weak to hold him. He heard the din of voices as though through water again, and saw the people in the gas station. Get into the sun! Bernadette was yelling. Dawson obeyed her like a drone, and marveled when the satellite dish burst into a pillar of dense white light. It grew silently warm in his hands, and then he was working on it, looking at the growing dot of black accelerating madly toward him. He could feel it up there, looking at him making slight adjustments with its scales as the wind rushed over those massive wings. Two terrified seconds of waving the beam of light accomplished nothing. Then the black dot faded to a light gray. He had the beam on target, though it flicked left and right with the slightest twitch of his hands. Nothing happened. The dot grew steadily larger, and he could almost see the air distorting around it as it dropped toward the earth. He considered dropping the dish and running back inside. Then something happened. The thing unfurled its wings, but sloppily, just one and then the other. The motions were hesitant, unsure, and then absolutely panicked. Great hemispheric wings shot out to its sides, but they collapsed painfully backward under the onslaught of wind pressure. A second later, the thing hit the ground. For a moment, there was only the comically soundless puff of dust. Then Dawson felt a rumble in the ground. 
Then he heard the sickening, banging crunch of the thing's body flattening against the desert floor. The only thing he could equate it to was a double-wide trailer full of raw meat being hit by a semi-truck. He looked at the others in the grocery store. Marco met his eyes first, shock fading quickly to joy. Coño de la madre de Dios, he said. Oh, God damn, we did it! He jumped and punched the aluminum siding. You fucking did it, you blonde piece of shit! Oh, fuck, you did it! The others were all cheering, too. Dawson quickly searched the sky and saw the other two discs gliding quickly over to where the first had fallen. The keys, man, the keys, Comey hissed, pointing to the wreckage of the car. Then Dawson was running over the concrete, hot air drinking the sweat off his face as he skidded into the gully beside the torn heap of their Buick. It hovered between plainly familiar and utterly unrecognizable. The entire row of back seats were perfectly in place, marred only here and there by errant blood spatter. He jammed the Boy Scout canteens, they were right where he'd left them, into his waistband. The caps dug at his skin. The rest of the car was nightmarish, shredded metal and blood and bits of a guy who'd stolen their car stuck to everything. There was almost nothing left of the guy, and what Dawson could see was unrecognizable. He realized the smeared blood was from the things licking it off every surface, like they were cleaning their plate. His eyes froze. The heavy silver revolver lay in a pool of stinking red slime on the passenger seat. Dawson looked at it for a second and then picked it up gingerly, trying to wipe the worst of it off on his seats. He'd never be sitting in them again, so who gave a shit? He thought of Carolyn whining about that and rolled his eyes. He saw the book he'd been reading in the footwell of the passenger seat. Gore had pulled around it and every page was warped and crusted. He'd never be finishing that book, either, he thought. Something caught his eye on the other side of the car and he stepped around it to get a better look. Three beach ball-sized chunks of lopsided whore lay in a reeking brown stain on the sand just beyond the pavement. Pellets, Dawson whispered under his breath, thinking of freshman biology class back in Provo. They had broken apart owl pellets containing vole remains, and this was very much the same thing. Instead of clean, dusty vole bones, however... There were red-slicked ribs and broken femurs and a lump of half-digested boot. The dead man's acid-burned penis hung from a pair of ruined underwear, just below a belt that disappeared into the pellet. Of course, Dawson grumbled. He held his breath and kicked the thing apart with three quick stomps. The smell of it caught him hard and he turned and puked, his stomach clenching painfully. He found the man's keys still in his pocket in the depths of the pile, curled up with a length of intestine and smoking hunks of meat. Dawson! He turned just in time to see the black dots descending on him from the other side of the gas station. Though they were still hundreds of yards away, he knew he had barely a second to react. He brought the satellite up and both shadows peeled away to either side of him. One shot high into the sky, its massive wings catching the desert thermals until it was the size of his thumb. The other stayed low, hovering just above the gas station. Dawson could hear the others scream in unison when it flopped down on the roof. Despite its size, it didn't seem that heavy. Four powerful legs touched down and then bounced slightly, as though the entire thing was made from paper mache. It curled its wings around its body in a dome to block out Dawson's light. An itch on his neck told him to turn around and he did, barely getting the satellite up to shine away the others that rapidly approached from the back. Oh, you clever fucker, Dawson muttered. He was stuck now, between the thing on the roof of the station and the one in the sky. They couldn't be that smart, could they? But then he thought of them circling this place, waiting the people out. Rabbits had to leave the nest sometime, and there probably was no other place to hunt. Run for the pumps, 
Comey screamed. His wife stood behind him, crushing his sleeve with her hands. His excited eyes caught Dawson's and he gestured frantically. Dawson obeyed without hesitation, running toward the chemical stink of the growing gasoline pond. The thing on the roof unfurled its wings and leapt down to join him. Dawson's heart nearly stopped. Its body was the size of a grizzly bear, though its legs were longer and skinnier. Its face was long and hard, a sharp beak lined with inch-deep serrations that curved backward. Two big, stupid red eyes looked at him as the thing's neck twisted on the feathered stalk running out of its body. Not feathered, Dawson thought. Scaled. It's a fucking dragon, he said to himself. That is fucking bullshit. Then it charged him and he didn't give a shit what it was anymore. The space between the pumps was too small for it, though its neck was long and flexible enough for the teeth to snap at Dawson from several feet away. He pointed the gun at the thing and pulled the trigger. Click. Shit, he said. The effort of pulling the trigger made him want to drop the thing, but he kept it up and pointed at the creature. With a stupid sort of clarity, he realized he was standing in the gasoline-filled lot of a desert gas station and facing down a literal fucking dragon with a figurative sword and shining shield. He managed to blind the thing with the shield. It was considerably less bright out of the sun and dodged a swipe of its claws. They looked like a set of black kitchen knives cutting the air in front of him. Hey! Hey, you thing! Marco yelled. Dawson saw him shaking a piece of aluminum siding. The metal was hard to look at, and the thing didn't even bother. It took another step toward Dawson, covering its eyes with its left wing. Dawson pointed the gun at its face. The effort of pulling back the trigger made the barrel shake wildly. Bang! The pistol, the hand holding it, and the arm attached to that all flew up straight over Dawson's head. His vision blurred slightly with the ringing in his head, and a vibrating numbness rolled up his arm. He realized he couldn't feel his fingers. Or, he could but it was almost like they'd been electrified. The creature seemed to be suffering a similar problem. Dawson blinked away the pain in his head and saw one of the thing's big red eyes was now running down its face, along with part of its skull. Its tongue swept the mess off its cheek. Dawson was nearly sick when he saw a ropey length of something pink slide out of the thing's eye socket and into its mouth. How the fuck aren't you dead? he asked. Marco and Comey were banging on the aluminum siding now, and the thing turned to them stumbling stupidly through the gasoline pond. Its movements were slow and clumsy now, but its mouth didn't look any less deadly. Marco pointed to the side of the building. There's a red wheel over there, he yelled. The gasoline shut off. Hit it, now! Dawson saw the red wheel the second he looked for it and sprinted through the gasoline to get to it. The fumes made it almost impossible to breathe. He saw Marco strike up a road flare. Red light and jets of black smoke filled the front of the store. Stay back there when you hit it. Don't come to the front of the building. Okay, Dawson yelled back. There was a single steel pin under the wheel, with a pull tab threaded through a hole on the end. A piece of cloth attached to it read, Pull in case of emergency. He did, and the wheel spun free and snapped into the off position, signified by a loud thunk deep in the ground beneath his feet. Good! A surge of air nearly pulled Dawson off his feet. Then he was being thrown to the ground. There was no noise at all. Then, too much. A series of dull rings like he'd picked up a phone and forgotten to dial a number. He pushed himself to his feet, brushing a coating of blackened dust off his arms. His skin tingled. Something screamed behind him and he turned to see a fireball the size of a minivan thrashing about in the sand. He realized it was the thing that had been trying to eat him, 
and a vigorous shake of his head tossed everything else back into place. Black figures raced around the corner in front of him, rattling coming from the shining chunk of silver over their heads. Comey slapped his hands up and down over Dawson's body. The keys, he was saying. Where are the keys? Dawson handed them over with dumb fingers and Comey vanished back around the corner. Marcus shook his shoulders and Dawson blinked, trying to focus on his face. It came into focus with a rush of noise almost too deafening to hear over. Get inside, he yelled, dragging Dawson along behind him. Dawson focused just long enough to see the flaming heap had stopped moving. Then something landed with a thud next to it. The great black wings unfurled, and an incredible scream like nothing Dawson had ever heard rose above the noise of the gas station burning. Marco jerked his arm when he tried to get back inside the building. No, dingus, this way, he said. Inside here. Dawson saw Bella and Bernadette loading his wife into the back of the jeep. Comey was attaching a makeshift awning of aluminum siding to the roof rack with ratchet straps. Marco took the gun from Dawson and whistled. He handed it to Comey, who jumped in the passenger seat. Abella fastened a seatbelt around Dawson after dragging him the rest of the way inside the jeep. This is a 545 Casul chambered Blackhawk, Comey shouted, rolling the gun over in his hands. He looked back at Dawson. I can't believe you fired this thing one-handed. I think it dislocated my shoulder, Dawson said. You fought a dragon, James said, poking him in the shoulder. Dawson looked down at the boy. That's pretty cool. I didn't even know they were real. Marco was going 25 by the time he hit the blacktop. All of them jumped when they heard the last of the thing scream. Comey pointed the gun out the window at it. Dawson met its eyes and drew in a deep breath. The thing was terribly beautiful. It had raised its wings up in a threat display, and the black scales rippled over the red skin beneath, giving it the appearance of a trippy, flickering flower. Don't, Dawson said, touching Comey's shoulder. Pain colored the thing screeching, even though they hadn't shot it. It stormed back and forth in front of the burning corpse, digging its face into the ground and kicking up great clouds of dust. It screamed and screamed and screamed, but never moved an inch closer to them. I think it just wants us to go. Fuck that. Shoot it, Marco said. Fuck that thing. Comey aimed at it until the angle out the window was too extreme. He set the pistol in his lap. Probably would have missed anyway, he said. Fuck, Marco hissed. He rubbed his arm across his eyes. Shit. No base los lobos por ayar, Abella said, rubbing his shoulder. He pressed his hand over hers and shook his head. There's no use in it, Marco. Bernadette watched the shape of the thing disappear behind the hill. There was almost a full tank in this jeep, she said softly. They all craned to check what she said. The tank was nearly full. Those security guards didn't come to that gas station for gas, I guess, she sighed. What in the hell were those things? Her husband scanned the sky and Dawson followed suit. They found only clouds and the endless blue. Two hundred miles down the road, in the middle of the night, Dawson Smith smoked his first ever cigarette in the waiting room of a hospital. The others from the gas station had helped him inside, but left soon after. Free of the gas station, they'd taken turns driving through the night, none of them 100% willing to believe they'd escaped. Eventually, it had been just Abella and Dawson, riding in the front seat of the car. Everybody else was asleep. The carpenters were on the radio, of all people. 
We must be getting close to civilization, Abella said. The music in the country is terrible. Clear desert air opened on a night full of stars. Dawson somehow knew he'd seen no hole in the flat tapestry of the universe. No strange things ruled these familiar skies. His head had stopped ringing hours ago, and now his thoughts were starting to make sense. He held the security guard's pistol in his right hand. The gun was far larger than anybody would ever need for security duty. Comey, a gun nut by his own admission, had gushed about the 454 Casul chambering. It's about the biggest round you can put in a production gun, he had said. This Blackhawk here is the only thing I know that fires it. Here's a joke, Dawson said. A doctor, a radar technician, and an Ivy Leaguer with a doctorate in physics walk into a gas station. Abella didn't react. Then, security guards show up at the gas station who don't need gas. They freak out and hold everybody there. Then they freak out more and try to steal a car from a Mormon and his wife. A car they know is almost out of gas. Where were they going? That joke has no punchline, Abella said. Her grandson and the others were snoring in the back seat. Carolyn remained unconscious, a dark bundle in the rear cargo area. Nobody knew if she would live, and nobody talked about it. The punchline is, Dawson said, running his finger down the barrel of the revolver. All of your cars were faced down the road we came from. Never seen somebody circle around a nowhere gas station like that instead of just pulling in? Abella snorted. Sure, it's probably possible, but I think you guys came from the other direction. You and Comey's family. He looked at her. So what's up there? Are you going to shoot me? No. She laughed, then turned up the music slightly. I won't treat you like an idiot, she said. You probably saved all of our lives running around out there like you did. She sighed and rubbed beneath the cuff of the long, thin shirt she wore. Dawson saw a tattoo there, a single feather. You are correct. We come from somewhere north of that gas station. I was being visited by my grandchildren. She looked into the mirror, where Marco's sleeping face lay reflected. I really did stop for gas, she said. I was afraid we might not make it to the next town, even though we had maybe half a tank. What are those things? I don't know, she said. Look, before you ask a bunch of foolish questions, Questions with answers that may be overheard by the people sleeping behind us. You should understand something. Dawson looked back at the sky. Knowing will change nothing, most importantly. And knowing will extend this indefinitely. She sighed. In a few days, reports will probably show that the gas station was robbed and blown up by some careless, nameless criminals. She said. That's how things work with these people. You can either live with that truth, or you can burden yourself with knowing what goes on north of that gas station. It's not a burden you will be allowed to bear long. I am sorry. You're sorry? Yes, she said. You're a good man. You went to great lengths to care for your wife, and that helped save my grandson. I respect you. I would like a good, long, healthy life for you. Something glimmered in her eyes. But I will not lie to you if you ask more questions. I don't have the patience for it. And if I tell you the truth, when they ask me, as they will. 
I will tell them what I told you. Then. Dawson stubbed the cigarette out, three puffs in, and walked through the hospital to the observation room where his wife lay unconscious on crisp white hospital linens. She looked beautiful. He dried tears off on his sleeve and ran his fingers through her hair. The doctors said she'd be fine. Therapy would be hell, but they'd call her next of kin the next morning. They thanked him for bringing a stranger all the way here. I fought a dragon for you, he said. He'd slipped his wedding ring off in the jeep. Now he placed it in the pocket of her hospital gown. But that's it, Carolyn. That has to be enough. He stayed a while longer, feeling the rhythm of her heart beneath his hand. Her pulse lingered in him a while after he left, the phantom pain of a wound he hadn't quite fully opened yet. And soon, Dawson Smith was no more than another black shape traveling the haze of the desert night, a hole amongst the stars, looking to be filled. Last Chance Gas. What do you think? Pretty goddamn goofy, right? Fighting dragons amongst the gas pumps and making reflector shields. That's some jump-up, bang-out, weirdo stuff. Weird enough that it has me writing Stephen King-style narration, at least. But, of course, the most crazy thing is, this story is indelibly connected to every story you've heard this season and in the first season of the West Side Fairy Tales. How can it be, you ask? Well, the clues are there for you. Though you may not have enough yet to see the bigger picture, but if you want to take a peek behind the curtain and get ahead of your peers, check us out on Patreon. For just a dollar, you get all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. At $5, you get your name on the West Side Fairy Tales website, and the $10 and higher tiers get you access to merch, like bookmarks and even signed copies of the stories. It's a great way to support me if you like what I write. Writing is my sole form of income, so you are directly supporting a small name independent artist when you throw me a couple bucks and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You can find out more at patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. But the best way to help out with the Westside Fairy Tales will always be to just spread the podcast via word of mouth. Subscribe to us on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales, follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Westside Fairy Tales, and share our podcast with your friends and family. You could also pop by iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us. Or just send me a personal email at westsidefairytales at gmail.com. I respond to every letter I'm sent without fail, so don't worry about not getting to me. But enough about that. Next episode is the last episode of the season for the West Side Fairy Tales, and it's an absolute return to what I'd call the Tyler Bell story aesthetic. That makes me sound like an absolute psycho but yeah it's the kind of story i like to write the most in fact it's tied for my favorite story of the season with so long roscoe much like that story it follows closely the struggles of a woman trapped in a marriage she hates a marriage she never wanted and to her recollection never agreed to so tune in for the final story of the west side fairy tales second season next month bands of gold and iron and until then, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. 
All content herein is copyright 2018, Tyler Bell. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.